Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are in a season of Advent. Um, we uh, choose at Bay Vineyard to uh, sort of attach ourselves to the church calendar, the historical church calendar for almost 2,000 years. The church has had the wisdom and creativity to mark time by the gospel story of Jesus. When you choose to follow Jesus, you've got two calendars. Uh, you've got the, the normal calendar that's in your iPhone. Uh, and you've got the calendar of the church. And the calendar of the church is marked by the life of Jesus. And what we do every year is we cycle through uh, the story of Jesus. It's time made sacred. And so uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see uh, what we're, we're beginning a new year. This is a brand new year. So I hope that you didn't have too big a night last night uh, after uh, you know, the end of uh, that last church calendar. We're in a new year in the church calendar, and uh, we're in Advent, which anticipates the coming of the Messiah. Advent is not Christmas. Uh, Christmas is a different uh, season, a different moment in the church calendar where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, which we're going to do very shortly. And in fact, some like Episcopalian churches go hard out, and it's like no Christmas decorations until Advent has, Advent has been observed. Because it's not a season of celebration, it's a season of waiting. And uh, well, we don't. Well, we don't actually have any. We don't have any uh, decorations because we can't be bothered setting up a whole lot of extra stuff. Uh, so, in effect, we're doing that as well. Um, Epiphany remembers the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles in the new year. Lent is the solemn journey to the cross, which we celebrate every year at Bay Vineyard. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection. Pentecost marks the birth of the church. Ordinary time or kingdom time leads us through the year and back to Advent. I like that there's ordinary time. I say this every year, but I'm like, how much of life, and even Christian life, is just ordinary time? It's not, there's no conferences, it's just we plod along. It's ordinary time, kingdom time. I like that. I reckon that's cool. But now we're in Advent, and uh, we're in a season where we are going to, and, and the reason the church did this is because they said there's certain moments in Jesus' life that are so significant that we've just, we will never in our whole life grasp the depth of what's going on in these certain moments, but let's at least cycle through them every year and let them shape us, orientate us, and form us. And so Advent is one of those seasons. Advent is not a season of celebrating, it's a season of waiting. Now this is a time of waiting. Isn't waiting lame? I hate waiting so much. Like waiting's just the worst. You know, like, because we're in New Zealand, we have to wait a long time from anything from China to get here, right? I mean, AliExpress, it's like you click there, and it's just months sometimes, eh? Which is quite cool, because you like, you finally get it in your mailbox, and you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, well, you know, ancient Sam bought this to surprise current Sam, and like, I didn't get it to surprise him, but it's there. Uh, I've been thinking, you know, a lot about waiting in light of uh, admin to my sermon prep, and, um, and I don't want to break this to anyone that hasn't had kids yet, or maybe he's not married yet, but it's like, I'm, I'm sorry to say that life just kind of gets, there's more and more waiting that just kind of becomes part of your life. And on Saturday, I was like, I just thought, I'm just going to take a record of how much I wait. And so this is just in a couple of, short couple of hours. I, we begin in the car, waiting for Jen. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we go to school and pick up the kids and have to wait for the kids. And then we go to an ice cream store because we're starting Ash's birthday festival uh, and we have to wait for a decision from the kids about which chocolate or sorry which ice cream they're going to get. 
And then uh, we're at the park for a while, and then it's like time to go, and so we have to wait for a while because there's always one kid that hasn't got the message that it's time to go yet. Uh, and then we go to my in-laws, and, um, and then I'm waiting for my wife in the car again. Uh, then we go to the supermarket, and I'm like, I'm just standing there waiting, because Ash is going to make the decision about which cake we're going to buy, and pretend that she made. Uh, so it's like, now which, which one of these do you want? So that took a long time. And then we go back to the in-laws, and again, I'm waiting in the car for my wife. Uh, and then we went to the sushi shop, and I had to wait for sushi, that was annoying. And then I hopped in the car again, and I'm still waiting for Jen. I'm like, how does this even happen? Fruit of the Spirit, patience is in there. And I'm like, less Lord, less Lord. I get down, less Lord. I do not need any more patience in my life. But uh, I can't complain because, um, actually, I, and I don't want to complain about Jim either because I had to wait 28 years before I met Jim. Some of you are like, I'm still waiting to meet my Jim or my Ken or whoever it may be. Um, but I was like, in my 20s, uh, I was like, I'm never going to get married. It's impossible for me to get married. Because uh, I went into full-time ministry straight out of Bible college. So I left high school, went to study theology for three years, and then straight out of Bible college, I was in full-time ministry, which I've done ever since. And at a certain point in my tw late tw mid, mid to late 20s, I started to get panicked. Because I was like, where is it appropriate for me to crack onto a gill? <laughs> Think about this. When is it appropriate for me to flirt with someone and to act a bit interested? It's like there's no context where this is ever appropriate. I'm like, in my church at Blueprint, right, where the Gemma and Andy, uh, see, they can just get together and whatever, you know, and it's like, me, I'm at Blueprint, and Blueprint wasn't a big church, it was a small church, it was about like, 80 people or something. It basically consisted of two or three student flats, and we made this little church. And so, like, I'm like, if I flirt with someone in my church and it doesn't go well, <laughs> That's a church split. Like that's just like something. That's just it's high stakes poker. I'm like I'm never going to meet someone. I'm like the only other context I've got is a church camp or when I'm a conference speaker or something. And again, not a great look for the speaker of the camp. Hey, how you doing? And so I literally remember. I remember I was twenty. It was my twenty fifth birthday, and and I'm like. And at that stage also I was living by faith, so I had no money at that point either. I'm like, no money, no girlfriend. This is the and so I wake up and I I was like, you know some sometimes you're like, how old am I turning again? And then you're like, and I was like, I'm turning 25. And I'm and I'm lying there in my brother's bed, which has like a warrior's I remember it had a warrior's duvet. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. And in my little brother's bed, waking up on my 25th birthday, no money and no girlfriend. I'm like, this is just, this is this is never going to happen. I was absolutely panicked, right? Will he make it? Will he make it? Come on, Lord. Like, you've got to fully do something. And of course, spoiler alert, got married and I uh, had three kids and all that. Hallelujah. Um, but wait, waiting is, uh, is just, uh, it's not easy. And you know, most of this book is people waiting. Like, waiting, the reason we do Advent is because the spiritual act of waiting is very biblical. And God is at work in the waiting and in the longing. And the hope we have is that He then comes and He acts. It's not a vain hope. We wait with hopeful anticipation of what God is going to do. Uh, and, uh, and He's a good Father. 
And I know some of you, you know, like, yeah, funny story, Harvey, I'm still waiting, as I say, for my gentle kin to turn up. And it's like, uh, and so we keep, Lord, you know, we, he's a good father. And we keep asking. But the, the time of waiting is not easy. We're in the time as a, a culture of waiting for a vaccine, you know. We're waiting for air travel to resume and to the world to get back to normal. And in the short term, we're just waiting for those holidays. Come on. Come on, church, give me something here, right? I mean, I can almost feel the ribbon across my chest. I'm like, we're so close to that finish line. Like, you know, and it's like, we need a break. You know, we need a break. And uh, I'm praying, I'm like, hopefully anticipation of a great holiday. There's not a guarantee, but I'm like, Lord, please, this year needs to be a goodie. It needs to be real good. Lord, would you do some miracle on my children so it's a good summer? Would you, would you chill them out just a bit somehow? Most of the Bible is, is the this, this season of waiting, and Luke's Gospel opens with the story. What we're going to do this uh, Sunday is we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist, and next week we're going to look at the story of Jesus. Luke uh, opens his Gospel telling the story of, uh, of John the Baptist, um, and, and, and the story opens actually with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, were in the time of Herod. Now this is, uh, so some context here, we'll get to this passage in a minute, you can leave it up Steve if you want, but we'll get to this passage in a minute, but Zechariah and Elizabeth are living in the time of Herod, it says, in fact, if you've got your Bibles, because it's not going to be all on the screen, feel free to open them to Luke chapter 1, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, so, uh, so the Israelite nation are waiting for a Messiah, they want kings again, like back in the day, they've been in exile, and, the whole, and they finally get this king, Herod, but he's like a puppet king. For the Roman Empire. It's so disappointing. And so the Israelite nation are working through that disappointment and they're still waiting. They're still waiting. And, uh, and we have this lovely priest, Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. So from the, uh, from the tribe of Aaron, which is a priestly tribe. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth are priests in the sticks. They were like the priests, like Shannon. I used to live in Shannon. Who knows where Shannon even is? You've driven part through Shannon, haven't you? Maybe you've stopped for a... I used to, yeah, yeah, Alcatraz, that's right. It's a big deal. That wasn't there when I lived in Shannon. Uh, so we, that was before the glory days of Alcatraz. But um, but we, I lived in Shannon, you know. My dad was uh, was the priest of Shannon Anglican Church. And so that's the equivalent to what Zechariah is dealing with. And then, so then Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have turns where they, uh, they get rostered on to serve in the temple in Jerusalem. So this is like going to Palmerston North, right? So it's like big deal. Like, oh man, I remember driving to Palmy. It's like, whoa, this is huge. You had McDonald's, you know, it's like, this is unreal. Uh, and so that's what happened for Zechariah and for Elizabeth. They go to Jerusalem uh, to serve uh, on um, uh, in the temple. Uh, and these are, these are, the Bible says that they're good people. These are good, faithful saints, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But life hadn't been easy for Zeke and, and Elizabeth uh, because they couldn't have kids. Uh, and so they would have, you know, the reality is that uh, even though they're good and righteous people, life can deal tough cards to good and righteous people. You know, them. some of you are those good and righteous people. Life just dealt some tough cards. And it's, uh, so they're, they're going through this, you know, they're, just, they're dealing with the disappointment of this. Um, and, in this, and, and even more tragically, there was a deep stigma at that time of shame. A lot of people thought that you were cursed if you couldn't have kids. 
and it actually says in, uh, in verse 25 when Elizabeth's rejoicing about, uh, about her pregnancy, um, uh, he, has, he has done this for me. He has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace from the people. Like she lived with that, even though she'd done nothing wrong. And so, uh, and so they're old, and uh, Zechariah goes with his division to call upon to have their stint serving in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, and every, they'll have the evening sacrifice, and one priest would be chosen to enter into the holy place to uh, offer incense at the altar. And they'll perform, the, they'll perform these prayers and this liturgy, and, uh, and incense from the altar would flow up through the coals where they'll carry the prayers of the people up to God. And now there were thousands of priests in Israel, and the way that they decided who would get to go into the Holy of Holies to do this, it was like a lottery. It was chosen by lot. So they'd have a little lottery. And the only condition was that you, if you'd done it once before, you weren't eligible to enter. This was a once-in-a-lifetime moment for you as a priest. And so uh, his, his, his name gets called Zechariah. Your turn. And so he's like, you know, this is huge. This is once life. He can't wait to get back to tell us what happened. And he's probably nervous and practicing the prayers and the liturgy that he does to do this particular moment. And he goes in all alone into the presence of God. And then this starts happening. Is this an exciting story already? Then, like, can you imagine all of this? And then, if I go back to the uh, next slide, look at Boom. Boom. Angel turns up. Has anyone seen an angel? My dad's seen an angel. My dad is not a shake-and-bake, chandelier-swinging Pentecostal, if you're wondering. <laughs> my dad's a boring Anglican minister who's very, you know, logical. And, and one day, my little sister was standing at the door uh, of their bedroom, and whoosh, for a split second, he saw this angel standing behind her. Whoosh, and gone. And he is not the sort. Those that know my dad know he is not the sort to make up these sorts of stories. That is not his jam. And he just said the size of the thing. Size of the thing was incredible, and um, and so right, the first thing all the angels do, right? They have to say, "Fear not," right? Do not be afraid. First thing that you've got to say. Uh, if an angel turned up, I think you know that's probably a wise move. They just probably got used to that, you know, an angel training school. Guys, first thing you do when you see the humans, you've got to say, "Do not be afraid," or "Fear not," or an equivalent, because they're freaking out. You'll notice a little bit patch forming. That's normal. Don't worry about it. Uh, just as you work. Zechariah saw him, he was startled, gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, Do not, and probably fear like, have I stuffed this up? Have I done something wrong? Have I mucked up the liturgy? You know, or who knows what's going on in that moment? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. You, he will be a joy and a delight to you. Isn't that lovely? Aren't, isn't that true? I mean, I, I, talk, I take the mic out of my kids all the time. Aren't they a joy and a delight? Little Ashes 10 6 today. What a joy and a delight. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this great promise is given to Zechariah after years of faithful praying, years of faithful serving, through all the disappointment of what's happened in the life of Israel and in his own life. He keeps on turning up, he keeps serving, and there's this moment where this great promise is given. Their son will grow up, of course, to become the forerunner who prepares for the Messiah. 
John the Baptist will be the first to publicly identify Jesus as the Messiah, God's righteous King. And he will even baptise Jesus. What an amazing honour. What an incredible guy. But John will drink no wine because John isn't the one who brings the party. John announces that the party is about to begin, but he doesn't bring it. The party begins when Jesus turns water into wine at Cana in Galilee. That's when the party begins. So John is Advent, and Jesus is Christmas. John is like, we're waiting for the party to get started, and Jesus comes and gets that party started. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you. John prepares us, hopefully anticipation, waiting with hope. As we look at the life of Zechariah, there's things that we can learn about waiting well. About waiting well. I don't know, uh, there's both a, a micro and a meta level to our waiting this morning. There's the micro level of whatever you're waiting for in your life. You know, maybe you're waiting, you're like, oh, I'm waiting for my, uh, my kid to come back to the Lord. And I've been praying for, and I'm like, keep praying. And I've told you the story many times of my grandfather who prayed every single day, every single day for his family that weren't followers of Jesus. And the list was everyone in our family when he started. And he prayed decade in, decade out, not just week in, week out. Decade in, decade out. And slowly lines got put through those names as people came to faith. I don't know if you're waiting for, uh, you know, I know Jandro is waiting for his family to come to New Zealand and we were joining with you, right? And it's like, oh, you know, every Sunday, mate, what's the latest news and all the rest of Many of us are waiting for, for things on, on a micro level, you know, unanswered prayers, things we're longing for. But on a meta level as well, we are still in a season of waiting. We're not in the same season of waiting as Israelite people because they were waiting for the Messiah to come. He has come. And he has defeated the, the, the sin and conquered death. Hallelujah. And, and the presence we feel in the room today is the risen Christ in our midst. That was not the case before Jesus came and pulled out his Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. It's a different sort of waiting. His kingdom is advancing. His, we're in the room because we've met him. We're in the room because we want to see people meet him. We're in, you know, like the, the, the kingdom of God is... Millions, billions of people follow Jesus today. The kingdom of God is advancing all around the world. But still, there's so much that needs to be completed, finished. And we look forward to his return. Come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to his... his... So what does it look like to, for us to wait well? Wait well. Well, the first thing I want to say is that Zechariah just keeps on turning up. He just keeps on turning up. He's got his duties to be a priest. He's got to, you know, do performance. But he just keeps turning up. He keeps turning up to pray. He keeps turning up to seek God. He just keeps on turning up. And can I just tell you that, uh, that, that if you want to wait well, just keep turning up. Just don't give up. And I want to honour you for being here this morning. You legends. Because you keep turning up. This is a busy time of year. We're weary. This, like, you're nuts if you're not weary. Of course, you, you, you're weary. This year's been mental. It's been stressful. You keep, you've turned up. Yeah. You legend. Like, waiting poorly is, given, is just stopping, to, stopping turning up. It's quitting. Yeah. But to wait well, you just keep turning up. 
You keep turning up. You keep turning up to church. You keep turning up to the prayer meeting. You keep turning up to your home church. You keep turning up to the communion table. You keep turning up to the counselling office, to the prayer ministry time. You just keep turning up. Like this, that's how you wait well as a dog in determination. So I'm, just, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep turning up. Ronald Rollheiser in his fantastic book, Sacred Fire, which is a must read in our church uh, if you want to stay here. Uh, that's the rules. That's the summer reading. He says this. He says you just got to keep. And he's like this. He says, Pentecost happened at a church meeting. You're just going to keep turning up. Pentecost didn't happen to some solitary person who had both. In fact, Jesus' command was to go to Jerusalem, which symbolized the church. And the disciples that were discouraged were walking on the road on Emmaus away from the church, to Emmaus. They were walking away from, and then Jesus was like, no, go back. Go back to the meeting. Go back to the church meeting. He says this, the upper room is not glamorous. Right? The upper room looks like Pyramid Lounge. The, the upper room looks like, you know, weird things on the, on the you know, fire exit signs and, and poor drawings from our children on the wall. Like, that's what the upper room looks like. It looks like the meeting room in your local church. But that is where Pentecost happened and will continue to happen. And so Jesus' advice to today's struggling believers is still the same as it was to a group of uncertain and shaky disciples at the time of the ascension. Return to the city uh, and wait in the upper room, or as Peter Moore put it, when you don't know what else to do, keep going to meetings because Pentecost happened at a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice. Like, you know, uh, some of my favorite people have, have every reason to stop going to the church meeting and keep turning up. They're the people that are just so filled with the fruit of the Spirit. They're my favourite people. They're the best people. A bunch of you in the room have got every reason not to be in the room because of what church has done to you and all the stuff you've gone through. You keep turning up, keep turning up, keep turning up. At our prayer meeting a couple of months ago, I looked around and because I know people's backstories, I was like, has every reason not to be here. She's got every reason not to be here. In fact, I was like, out of everyone in our church who has a reason to not be committed to this thing, it's this group of faithful saints that continue to pray for the bay that God would pour out His Spirit and bless this church and all the rest of it. I'm like, the bit is keep turning up. And, and God, and it's waiting. Sometimes, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight sometimes. In spite of what my emotions and senses are saying, I'm like, I'm going to choose your way, Jesus. Uh, and uh, I was listening to an interview um, by Beth Moore. Beth Moore is awesome. She's just, I love her in a spiritual mother way. You know? Just, I love Beth Moore. She's so cool. And I was watching, a, a, I was listening to a podcast with Beth Moore um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Sent it to every vineyard pastor in the movement, our team. I was like, God, watch this. Because there's a certain moment where she's like, I have resolved that I'm never going to quit. She's like, it's not even on the table. Like, because she gets, she gets beaten up. She's an American, strong, female preacher in a country that likes to take cracks at those sort of people. She's biblically orthodox, conservative, theologically phenomenal, communicator, gracious, kind. She gets beaten up on Twitter every week. And, and it's like, and the interview was like, how can you handle that? 
Like, do you just want to quit sometimes? He's like, I have resolved. I'm just, that's not going to happen. And I just felt that was like a prophetic word for uh, many pastors. In the, in the States, they reckon that 70% of pastors right now are looking for another job. Now, they don't have the same problems. We, like, they've got way more problems than we do here in New Zealand. In terms of pressure on their plate. Everything's a political thing over there. Everything. You're a master, you're a Democrat, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, this is insane. I would struggle. I can appreciate why the racial stuff, the denial of the racial stuff, the COVID stuff, the denial of the COVID, all of the division, right? 70% are looking for another job. Crazy. Pray for me. <laughs> pray for Jen. Pray for our team. Pray for your pastors, wherever you're from. Uh, we need the church to flourish right now. I'm not feeling like that. But... I, it's a spiritual principle that I think is important for us, where it's like that whole conversation about whether I'm going to keep following Jesus or not, whether I'm going to keep going, you just take that off the table. I am not going to quit. I'm going to keep on turning up. You know, when I make mistakes, I'm going to boldly run to the throne of grace and receive mercy in my hour of need. I'm just not going to give up. We talk about all the time, we're just going to get back on the wagon. Uh, at our upper click meeting on Thursday morning at Auckland Honey Cafe, where we hold each other accountable about our devotional lives, we talk all the time about staying on the wagon. Yeah. Everyone in the cafe thinks we're alcoholics. It's like we're always talking about, are you off the wagon? I'm off the wagon, mate. Bad week this week, but I'm getting back on the wagon. And I'm like, that's good. It's a reset. Every week we come back to church, we come to the table, we talk to each other in the home. I'm getting back on the wagon, and I'm going to keep on choosing Jesus. And as we finish a tough year, I don't know what you're going through. I know many of you have got a waiting and there's longs in your heart. It's been painful and whatever. But can I just say, even over summer, I'd love you to, to just go, Lord, give me a fresh resolve. Yeah. Give me a fresh strength yeah. to not just to, to you know, hang in there, but to, to shoot around and to lean in. I'm going to keep turning up. I'm going I'm I'm to doggedly go there until Pentecost happens again. Until you're born again in the middle of my mess. I'm going to keep turning up. Come on. Woo! Thank you. Praise God. Yeah, so thank you, man. Warmed <laughs> up this morning. It's a word, it's a word for our cultural moment. We're just not going to give up. Devil we're just not going to give up. We're, 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 we're not going to blip first, you know? It's like we're just going to keep turning up. Oh, man, I don't want to prep my vision. You're going to get this sort of fire as we start the year. I'm warning you. I'm fired up about my vision talks already. Because I'm like, as a church, we're not giving up. With our vision, we're going to keep on praying that God would pour His Spirit on the bay. We're going to keep turning up to that prayer meeting. We're going to keep discipling people in home churches. We're going to keep reaching out to those that are hurting in the bay. And I don't care what our numbers do on a Sunday. I care about a faithful remnant that are with me that are like, I'm, I'm there. I'm turning up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on going. And like with all the brutal stuff of this year, just like, stuff it. I'm in, I'm in even more. <laughs> oh, just, it's a great feeling. You know, screw you, devil. Well, I'm you know, Why are you trying to do this to me, mate? We're going, mate. You just rev me up even more. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, pumped, man. I'm finishing the year pumped, which I thought I'd be crawling across the finish line. I'm like, no. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep turning up. I'm going to keep turning up the preach. I'm going to keep turning up. All right, right, here we go. <laughs> keep turning up, friends. What's my next point, Steve? Flip. <laughs> keep moving. Secondly, as we do that, let God fill you with His hope. Like there's hope in the natural, you know, but then there's something sovereign where God fills you with hope. May the God of hope, like that's His nature, 
Like he's always like this, this goodness. You should look forward to what I'm going to do. He's the God of hope. May fill you with all joy and peace. That's cool. I mean, that's, that's a flipping sermon series in that half a sentence. May he fill you, fill you, then you've got to say it again, with all, not just a bit, with all joy and all peace. There are values. That's the first three fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what John 15 about. Oh, more Lord. As you trust in him, right? That's what was happening in worship for some of you this morning. It's like a fresh, a fresh sense of, I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm going to trust in you. I'm putting my trust in you again. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, that's what he's been doing in me. Like, I feel like I'm overflowing with hope. This year on the book should have been the most discouraging year ever, and I should just be looking, be one of those 17% probably. And I'm like, I'm overflowing with hope about what God's going to do in and through us. Amen. Overflowing with hope. Amen. And that's not a Sam Harvey visionary thing. There's a, after a while, that, that natural thing wears off. And if it's not sovereign, you're not going to stay frothed. That tweet that. If it's not sovereign, you're not going to stay frothed. But when, uh, when, the, when the God of hope begins to fill you, that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, that is awesome. Romans 8 verse 24, earlier in Romans it says this, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Yeah. Right, again, so this isn't hope for like what we've got. I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm already like a couple of years down the track in terms of what God's doing in people's lives. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, uh, I'm... It's weird. Four years ago, like, you know, the days of the month lined up the same days we've got right now. And so four years ago, on Friday night, me and Jen had a little prayer time. Most nights we have a little prayer time together. Real short. Jen is in charge of it, just so that everyone's clear about how not, not spiritual I am. So maybe some people I am. Jen really definitely owns that part of our marriage. She always in the chats a bit of a prayer, a little prayer before we go to sleep. Normally, dear God, if you're real, please make us sleep through the night. We'd love that very much. A very manipulative prayer, but, um, but one that has been very earnestly said many times. So that probably, and then as we began to pray, uh, as we began to, just all of a sudden, it was like God was in the room, for lack of a better word. And we just, within about half an hour, we knew that we were leaving Christchurch. We had no idea where. Friday, four years ago. It was and within a couple of weeks, uh, it was like we're probably going to be planting somewhere. Within a couple of months, uh, within about four months or so, we knew we were coming here. We had no history here. We parachuted and all the rest of it. Now, as I began praying about moving to the bay, I began to be filled with faith and hope about what God was going to do here. And what it was is that I, I actually, in my mind's eye, could feel what it was going to be like to be in this moment right now. I was like, this for me isn't a surprise. Yeah. I, before we even got here, I was like, oh, I can imagine I'm there preaching and we have worship yeah. and we've got an amazing group of people I love to pieces and they're just the same, you know. And I could just feel it. And I was like, but now, but I was hoping for it because I hadn't seen it yet. But I had this kind of faith and hope in me. You're calling us here and it's kind of, I just know it's going to happen. And there's certain things I would like to just pray that you'd have faith, this increased faith for it. Again, your sons and daughters coming home, like John the Baptist, that was his, his, his ministry. Sons and daughters coming home, you have greater faith for that. Faith for, I don't know what it is, breakthrough in whatever area of your life, but that God would fill you with a new sense of, and that's vulnerable because when we get our hopes up, our fear is great disappointment, which is why these passages say that we trust in Him. I trust, I'm, I'm being vulnerable by allowing my hopes to rise because I put my hope and my trust in you. Right? 
So may God fill you with hope. Rich Nathan says this, In Scripture, hope is not a feeling addressed to our emotions. Rather, hope is a decision addressed to our wills. Hope is a decision to believe God for a good future based upon the way that God has worked in the past. Hope says, I have a future, we have a future. Hope says, blessing is coming to me and to us. Hope says, what God began, he will complete. What God promised, he will fulfill. It is hope that sustains us in hard times. It is hope that causes us to crash through the quitting points, whether it's the quitting points of our marriages and schools and our jobs or towards Christianity itself, right? It's like, no, this is not the full extent of what I believe is promised. I'm going to keep going until I crash through that quitting point and I begin to see you, uh, the goodness of God in the land of the living. Hallelujah. The goodness of God in the land of the living. Edmund uh, Clowney, why do New Testament scholars have such full of names? You know, Edmund Clowney. How could you, like, that would be hard for me if I, he was my lecturer. I'll be, I'll be trying, Lord, help me respect. Anyway. I'll turn into a 13-year-old again in the New Testament class and we're like, clearly. Alright, uh, he says this. Our hope is anchored in the past, Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present, Jesus lives. And our hope is completed in the future, Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is why we hope. We have hope in him because he has come. Because of Christmas, we have hope. That after all that waiting and all that longing, God fulfilled his promises. He sent a Messiah. He sent a Savior. Yes, it looked radically different to what the Jewish people were expecting. But it was so much better and so much richer. And even in the midst of our waiting, uh, there is something that God does in us that's so beautiful. As I said earlier, fruit of the Spirit includes patience. That sucks, eh? Let's be honest. Like... That's pretty tough. I struggle with the two-minute noodles because it's a lie that doesn't take into the consideration the jug boiling, right, or the mixing of things. I mean, and, you know, it's more four to five, right? And it's like, you know, drive-through, read-through, drive-through Maccas for Ashes Festival yesterday, and again, that was just such a long wait. And I'm like, we're terrible on patience. Because we live with devices that constantly want to give us instant gratification and our neurological pathways are screwed when it comes to patiently waiting, right? But the Lord wants to form something in us where we are a patient people. We play the long game. You've got to play the long game with God. You've got to play the... So not only do we, uh, in Romans again, earlier Roman, working our way backwards, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. There's something that happens in those places, those tough places of suffering, where if we allow God into that space, He does a work that's more precious than gold. He does something that's normally and often better than even the answer to the prayer itself. It's a work in your character and your soul where you become more like Him. And you become more like Him. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have this deposit, we have this Holy Spirit in us reminding us that it's okay to be filled with, with, uh, with hope in Him. Now, I come into land with this. We sit in a bit of a tension in the midst of this message of hope and in the, the midst of this message of uh, encouraging us to have patience as we hopefully anticipate what God will do. This is the season of Advent. We sit in tension because uh, I believe in all of my heart that God is a good Father. Mm -hmm. He's caring. He's kind. He wants to see you flourish. 
the journey of our life is actually falling more in love with him as we see him for who he really is. I, my experience, he's got better with age. <coughs> he hasn't changed, but my, my, I feel like the veneer's got, you know, that's getting peeled away. I'm starting to see him for how good he is, how kind he is. And, uh, and I pray that you would see the breakthroughs of the land, the goodness of God, the land of the living. Um, I'm so grateful for what God has done this year in the midst of all the challenges. I'm filled with hope about what God is going to do, as I was saying earlier. But just like Zechariah, we are caught up in a story that's larger than our own. We're caught up in a story larger than our own. God has come, he's, he's defeated death and, and, and conquered sin and inaugurated his kingdom. But he says, and I will return and bring that work to completion. We live in this, this, this time of tension between when God has come and, and Jesus and when he will return again in glory. We live, And so the world is not the way it should be. And the reality is that Hebrews 11 talks about heroes of the faith who didn't see everything that had been promised to them because something greater was in store and his name is Jesus. And we, we have a hope that's not just a micro hope of our circumstances and that we will see the breakthrough in our lives, but we have the meta hope that he will return in glory. If he's come in Jesus, then his promises are true and he will come in glory. He will come again and judge the living and the dead, the creeds say. He will come again and the glory of God will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. Like, hallelujah, Revelation 21, 22. He will restore and renew all things. This world will be the way it's meant to be. And heaven and earth will be once more reunited. Hallelujah. That's the hope. That's what we're waiting patiently for now. And in the midst of it, we're like, Lord, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That heavenly future reality, Lord, a breakthrough into the present more and more and more. But that work will be brought to completion one day. And so that... So the reality is that there will be longings that will not be met in this life. You know? And and there's sicknesses that may not go away. We aren't given resurrection bodies the minute we become Christians. One day we will be clothed, imperishable, immortal. Like that's the hope we have. And so we see pockets of the kingdom breaking in and people getting healed and people having babies and belonging to have them, like in Elizabeth's case and all that sort of stuff. But there's also that sense where on a macro level, our great hope isn't in all those longings being fulfilled now, but that one day they will be. That is the great Christian hope. And the older I get, the more that becomes central to my faith. And the older I get, the more I see that all through the the epistles especially. This longing, calm, Lord. And... uh, and mainline uh, churches, Catholic and Anglican churches, they often proclaim the mystery. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. At the end of one of the creeds, they say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, I'm saying it with an ache more and more. It might be like, oh, come, Lord Jesus. There'll be times this year. Oh, Lord, would you just come back? Oh, would you come back? It'd be so nice if you just come back. You know, when you start getting a, a vision for what that's going to be like, it's like, oh, come Lord Jesus. But until that day, we wait patiently. We wait and we just keep turning up. Until that day, till that day, we're going to be reunited with loved ones. Until that day, till that day, we're going to be creations. Until we just keep turning up. 